Hello, and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadj Assad, and with me, as always, it's my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I, we're automotive journalists, and we're also friends. A very rare combination in this industry, right, Ben? I wouldn't know, because this is the only experience I've ever had with it, according to you. (laughs) Exactly. And... Um, you can find our work all over the internet. I'll ask Ben to plug a couple of the publications that he's recently written for. Um, because if you want to just, if you want, if you like his voice so much, you're going to want to hear it in your head. Or if you dislike my voice and would like my knowledge without having to hear my voice. Yeah. Where can that happen? Where can that experience happen? Uh, you can find my work at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, and at Inside Hook and Haggerty. Uh, and he's working on this. Uh, he's been working on this comic book that's uh, that's coming to to retail soon, right, Ben? That's correct. We don't actually know when it was supposed to be out last week, but there's a crazy thing going on right now with printing where no one can get paper. So book publishers across the world are having to stagger their release dates. I'm hopeful that Code Forty Five Issue One will be hitting shelves on June first. Uh, it has been printed and has been shipped. We're just waiting for final word on whether it will be the first or whether it will be the twenty fifth of May. So we'll see. Very cool. And you can find my work at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, and TechSpot. Ben, we've got a lot to talk about this week, man. We're going to start off with an electric car because uh, that's just the way of the world these days. But I say that by I, – I don't want to you know denigrate the car because it's a vehicle I think is actually pretty great. And Unlike it, the one you had last week, which was also, in your words – Pretty great. Yes, but the one I had last week was pretty great and cost $160,000. The one I'm talking about today is pretty great and actually costs less than $50,000. Wow, that's good, great to price ratio. It is. It is the 2022 Hyundai Hyundai Ionic. <laughs> Are you okay there? I'm You're good. A stroke. I'm good. Don't worry. Hyundai Ionic 5. Just keep breathing. Yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, and, and this is a vehicle that I, I want to point out. If you're an audio enthusiast, you've probably seen photos of this vehicle because it's pretty good looking. I think it's a handsomely styled automobile. Uh, it's got some cool angles. But when you look at the photos, it looks like it's a small hatchback. <laughs> that's, that's your first surprise? That's every, first single, surprise. every single photo of the Ionic 5 makes it look like a compact hatchback. It we is, need to have a banana next to the, next to the for scale. Right? I, I, okay, I mean in a banana-based economy, I guess that makes sense. But... Yeah. Um, I want to reiterate that it is absolutely not small in any respect. It is a longer wheelbase than the Hyundai... Um, Palisade. The Palisade, yeah, the full-size <laughs> three-row SUV. Uh, so this is a large crossover-esque vehicle. It doesn't have the ride height that you would expect from like a traditional crossover, but it's got decent cargo space. It's got a lot of room inside. And for some reason, none of that comes across in images, like at yeah. all. I mean, I think that that's a testament to the design language that they can take something that looks so that is physically so large and make it look so small. Well, right? no, it, it only looks small in pictures, though. Like in, yes. in person, it looks big. You're not you don't get in and you're like, oh, I'm surprised at how big this is. And I, I also want to point out, it does have that long wheelbase, but most of that wheelbase has gone into rear seat room. So mm. the cargo space, it's just over and batteries. Six, <laughs> no, but the batteries are underneath. Yeah. So it's just over six uh, sixty cubic feet. Of cargo with the rear seats folded. That's not huge. That's like less than what you get in a RAV4 or a CRV, which feel like, but those feel like somewhat smaller vehicles. 
Um, okay. It's enough. I'm yeah, it's fine. But when you get into it, it's it's mostly a passenger experience. Now I tested this thing and and I had come out um, of it with with a very particular sense of what the vehicle is, um, especially following the the reports from other journalists that this thing is really impressive. I came away feeling like it actually just feels really mainstream and and good enough, right? Like it's it's above average, but nothing that was really. Um, Exciting. Nothing that made me go, oh, wow, the electric car here is here, right? I I agree partially with that perspective. I do agree it's not an exciting car. Aside from the design, I think the design is fantastic. It looks so good. I think best-looking electric car on the market, under $100,000. Uh, but you're, you're correct in that everything else about the car is just – it just works. It, it, it's normal. It's, like, totally fine. It's normal, but – you know, in some ways, the Polestar 2, which is another vehicle I think that kind of competes with this with the Hyundai, yeah. um, that vehicle feels a little more plain than the Hyundai does. I think okay. that the Ionic 5 kind of is a step above the Polestar in terms of the overall package. So th- there's that aspect of it, too. But, you, you know, when you say good enough, what, what does that really mean? Um, this has got the EGMP platform that is underneath the Kia. Why do you, e- you got to say it that way? EGIMP. E-Gimp. It's under we all know it as eGIMP. Kia, Kia EV6, the Genesis GV60. Uh, why is eGIMP important? Because it gives you pretty fast charging rates. I mm-hmm. believe it's something like... Um, 350, isn't it? Or 300? Yeah, it's right around there. So that, that gives you, what, 60 miles in, in 10 minutes or something? I don't know exactly. I'm pulling that out of the ether. <laughs> but I do know... That uh, you can get. We're, we're real automotive journalists, he says at the beginning of the podcast. No, but the problem is with with really fast charging is and yeah, uh, I like I like that Hyundai has really underscored the need for fast charging because it's going to be important in the future. It's it's going to be if you buy a car like the Ionic Five, you're going to appreciate three years from now that you have the ability to charge quickly. But today, finding a quick charger is almost impossible, and then finding one that works is even harder. So it's hard for me to find out how fast these vehicles actually charge because I'm mostly stuck on like maximum 150 kilowatt. Maybe I get most of the time it's going to be like 22 or even seven or 11. You're like really low level level two chargers. So the DC fast charging is not easy to locate where I live. Um, but things that I was able to test, it's got a 77.4 kilowatt hour battery that gives you 256 miles of driving range. If you get the all wheel drive one, like I have, which has a dual motor setup, you can get a single, uh, rear motor setup for the vehicle too. And I think the range goes up to 303 miles. The horsepower drops from 320 to 225. But if you're, if you have a longer commute and you kind of feel more comfortable with that extra 75 miles of range, or, or not 75, so maybe just around 60 miles of range, then you could pay a little less. And if you don't need all wheel drive, you know, you're not lugging around the extra motor. Um, they're going to make a smaller battery version too, Sammy, later this year with an even lower output motor. And I am assuming that's going to kind of be a, a loss leader for them. Yeah. It's, it's not really going to extend the range because the battery will be smaller. So it's kind of hard to understand where that model's going to fit in. Yeah. But I don't know where that that one is fitting in. But I, w- I would like to talk really quickly about those charge rates again, which I think are, as you mentioned, one of the highlights and important part of this vehicle. Um, it can go from 10 to 80% in 18 minutes on the right charging network. Oh, that's really crazy. And usually the the normal, like, uh, that, I think that 350 kilowatt um, chargers, 
we'll we'll give you like twenty. We'll we'll get the work done in twenty five minutes, which is pretty good. I think that's that's really significant. But of course, the whole network needs to be on the same page here. Um, now we've got the cars that are supporting it, and let's see if if. The chargers start to happen. Right? It, it definitely is a gauntlet that's been dropped in the face of the charging infrastructure. You know, a long, yeah. a long time people were saying, "Well, you know, there's not enough there's not enough electric cars out there for us to justify a big expense." But we're way past that now. Um, okay, but talk to me. You're, you're talking about um, range and, and powertrain. Yeah. And so the model you had is this all-wheel drive with uh, three hundred with it's three hundred three hundred twenty horsepower and four hundred forty-six yes. pound-feet of torque. It does sixty in four and a half seconds by any measure. That's quick. Yeah, uh, but when you're driving it, it doesn't feel quick. It Isn't just that feels the normal. weirdest thing. Yeah, Isn't it the is strangest weird. thing that 400 or 300 horsepower can feel like nothing. I mean, four like, and a half seconds—that's that's really fast. That's, that's very the torque very quick. of a. That's the impressive torque of an electric vehicle. It just really just knocks you in your seat. Yeah, it's and it's, gets you up the road. <laughs> the the other thing about the Hyundai too that kind of I think helps dampen the enthusiasm for the drivetrain is that it's not really a sporty handler. Like it, it drives fine, it's comfortable, but you're not going to be throwing it through corners and and kind of being excited by that. It's it's just a really great all around SUV. Um, okay, and SUV tall wagon, whatever you want to call it, it's a practical, useful vehicle. Uh, I really really it's a large hatchback. <laughs> yeah, and I really enjoyed it. I thought it, it, the price of the model I had, the top top tier, fifty six thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars. There's a seventy five hundred dollar federal tax credit that's associated with that in the United States. So Hyundai uses that to say, well, you know, it's actually forty nine thousand. But I believe the starting price is well under is well under fifty. So that tax credit applies to the entry level models as well. I think you could probably get one of these for around forty one or forty two. That is a very reasonable amount of money for a vehicle that will handle 90% of everyone's daily driving needs and that charges, like Sammy said, super quickly when you are on a road trip if you can find that charger, which is a big if, I have to admit. Um, I'm I'm excited about it. Now, I will say when I drove it, it made me appreciate um, the Mustang Mach-E a little bit more just in terms of the performance that that car offered. It felt a little bit more interesting. It felt a little bit more engaging. The power delivery felt, like, really wow. Um, I, but, did you drive the GT? Uh, not even. No, I just drove a normal... Uh, yeah, I haven't driven the GT yet either. So I'm sure that's a, that's the next step as well. Um, but it, the, the, the Mustang doesn't have that ultra-fast charging. Yes, that's right. So if you're... So, gonna, I mean, what, I like the Mustang G- Mach-E as well, but the question is, if you're buying a car now to be future-proof for later, why would you not want something that has 350 kilowatts of charging? Absolutely. I agree with you on that. Uh, I'm just trying to say it's, it's, it is an interesting thing for the enthusiasts to decide between um, whether or not they're going to future-proof it for that. Well, I mean, a, a high-performance model has to come, I think. Um, I don't think so. There's going so. to be a I, Kia I, I, I version there, called the GT, the EV6 GT, okay. which has like 500 horsepower or something. It sounds other, like too much. The, it, there's another feature that I use in this vehicle. It has like a, like a limited self-driving system where it will do lane changes on its own if you just hit the... <clears throat> oh, yeah. I'm me. sure this goes over real well with you. If we all hit the, the people to use semi-autonomous driving features or whatever you, you want to call it, you would kill it. Um, it really it worked. I How did you confuse it? I didn't give you. I didn't have any issues with it at all. Uh, but again, did you I asked really, to divide by zero while it was making that link. <laughs> I did not. I was. I restrained myself from that voice command. But uh, it, 
I, I drove it on bright sunny days. I'm not mm. sure who that feature's aimed at, though, because if you're driving and you can't make a lane change on your own, I think you need to get out of the car. Yeah, it, it, it <laughs> kind of it kind of makes me think you're really detached from what's going on, and that's not safe because this isn't an actual self driving system. It's still a level two system, which means yeah. you need to have your hands on the wheel. And you need to pay attention. Um, and it's not like visibility in this car is bad, right? Like, no, it's not. And But there's another thing I want to talk about about the self-driving features, limited self-driving features in the Ionic 5. Like all Hyundais, the only way to know if it's on is there's a pair of tiny icons at the top of the screen. There's tiny. a little... How tiny? Like, maybe like the size of a watch battery, uh, maybe smaller. There there are... There's a steering wheel that glows green, and there's a another similarly... I can't remember the exact shape of the icon. It's like a circle or something. Um, that also goes green and they're side by side. And one of them is for the adaptive cruise and the other is for the self-driving. And they, they turn themselves on and off if it doesn't, if it can't detect the lines or if there's a, something blocking the cameras, but it doesn't tell you. It just, the light changes. So you have to constantly pay attention to those icons that are it's very small. Like yeah. I wrote a feature about this and it's actually in the, uh, car and driver that's on newsstands right now where I, I talked about, um, how there's needs to be a standard to tell people whether these systems are on or not. And um, Cadillac does a great job with Super Cruise. It's like, it's a giant light on the steering wheel. Yeah, you can't miss it. Yeah, it's it's either red or it's green. And um, that's very clear as to whether it's on or off. And Ford and Tesla do a pretty good job too. They have big screens that show um, the, the status of the system. But, you know, Kia, Hyundai, they're on the side, and I believe to some degree Nissan, they're on the side of smaller icons that are easy to miss. So right. um, the feature is just, was just talking about how um, the IIHS, which does a lot of safety testing, is introducing a new standard next year or later this year that's going to take into account how systems communicate with the driver, and it's mm-hmm. going to play into their top safety pick ratings. So you're going to start seeing automakers. The sad reality is a lot of automakers will only make changes if there is a perceived penalty to not making those changes. And if they're not going to be able to get top safety pick because their icon is too small, you can bet the icon is going to be the full size of the gauge cluster. <laughs> yes. Um, I think it's important to talk about this because I think there are a lot of um, there are a lot of options out there. I'm trying to remember. I think it's a Subaru, maybe. One of them has like these green lights that they put they light up under the windshield. Have you ever seen this one? No, I've seen the Ford. Uh, the collision warning has that light on the yes. windshield, which is so scary, very scary. Yeah, because that's the collision warning alert. Yes, you're about to crash into something. But I think in another vehicle, I can't recall what it is. They use those lights to indicate that the system is running, working, or or um, not working properly, or something like that. I think it's Subaru. I'll, I'll have to look look into my notes again. So ju- just but for- I think those kinds of you're right that kind of something that isn't on the periphery like these tiny little like and I even think the gauge cluster um display isn't isn't effective enough. I think bright lights is really important. Yeah, the steering wheel location is innovative from Cadillac for sure. Yeah. <clears throat> but wrapping things up with the Ionic, uh I mean this is a vehicle we talked about the Mach-E, we talked about the EV6 which I'm driving in about a month uh or actually just a few weeks I think. No, it's a full month, sorry. But in any case, uh, those are kind of the main rivals, but there's also the Volkswagen ID4 and the Tesla Model Y, which is roughly the same size, but a lot more expensive. I think it's about 10 grand more, and that's if you can get the base model, so good luck with that. Um, that's, that's the playing field that the Ionic 5 is on. And I think it's doing an excellent job in that area. You know, it's, it's exciting to see a car like this because it makes me think we're close to eventually having cheap, uh, subcompact or compact electric cars, um, where we're not super concerned about battery size and range because people are more accepting 
Uh, I don't know if that's a reality we're going to get to anytime soon, but the, the Ionic 5 kind of indicates that we might be headed in that direction. Well, I mean, I feel with the Ionic 5 and the Maki and the EV6 and the uh, ID4, we've got this like, we've got this bundle of mainstream mid-sized, um, mid-performance, actually, well, pretty high performance, um, electric vehicles. And if you want something cheaper or lower than that, you've got like the Chevy Bolt, for example. Or like the Mini uh, SC, which is... The Leaf, maybe. Yeah, I but I mean, forgetting about the poor Leaf. The Bolt, the Bolt, and the Leaf are are decent. You know, not the range is about 100 miles less than the Hyundai. But That's then, right. then you have like the the Mini Cooper SE is like 100 miles less than those cars. <laughs> yeah, or that Mazda. The uh, I don't even want to talk about that. That's that. Don't even say that vehicle's name. That is not worth discussing. It's banned from the podcast banned until they podcast. until it proves its performance. Um. It, it, I mean, look, we have to face it. We're going to be talking about electric vehicles a little bit more frequently. I mean, this is, I think, the third episode in a row we've talked about electric vehicles. Um, and I think we've got another one coming next week. Yes, but we are balancing that out with a performance vehicle next week. So don't, don't tune out right away, people. <laughs> oh, wow. You gotta really, you gotta really, I gotta make sure it in the them. Yeah. Um, but I'd like to talk about a non-electric vehicle if you, if you'll have me, if that's okay. Sure. Does it start with a V? Yes. Does it end with an R? <laughs> Yes. How do you, what, what does this mean? I don't know. You'll have to fill in the rest, though, because I'm drawing a blank. It is the new uh, Range Rover Velar, and the Velar is an interesting vehicle because it sits below the Range Rover Sport and above the Evoque, um, and, Range, uh, and Range Rover is trying to um, revitalize its lineup. They, As you remember, last month I drove the, um, the, the full-size Range Rover. Earlier this month they announced the new Range Rover Sport, and then you've got the the Velar and the Evoque, which are feeling and looking a little um, dated now in comparison to those two vehicles. Well, you said that was the new Velar, so what does that mean? Oh, sorry, it's just a it's just a model year. It's the new model year. Right. Sorry, it's a Velar. It's a Velar. All right. Okay. Um, and you know, I, I haven't spent uh, a lot of time with the Velar. I think I've had very limited experiences with it in the past. But from um, a distance, I really appreciated the, the design, and I think the Velar design has pushed um, Range Rover into what they're what they're doing now. And now that I've gotten into the car, um, I can say that it, it does feel like a Range Rover inside in all of the best and worst ways. I'm assuming that part of that has to do with piano black uh, infotainment interfaces. Yeah, there's a lot of screens in this, and uh, I was telling you before the, the the podcast that I've had some inconsistencies with the information on the screen in the worst kind of way. Um, gauge uh, gauges should be consistent, right? Like they shouldn't be surprising you with with new data every time you turn on the car, uh, and particularly the gas gauge, um, given the given the conditions we live in with with really high gas prices. When I picked up the car, it was full, but when I when I parked it that same day, suddenly the the gas gauge was at half. Which Sammy's living out the four hundred miles of driving he did. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think that happened. Um, and then ju- I, I drove it a few more times in the weekend. It was still at that half half mark, and then I drove it yesterday, and it was back at full. And that's terrifying. I don't know what to do with a with a goat with ghost gas, right? Like. Go, I, I hear know. ghost gas is very expensive. It is. I think it's the it's the ultra high octane. Exactly. And so I don't know whether or not this car is going to be empty on me in some time in the future, and whether or not uh, I need to fill it up. When when to fill it up? Really? Who are you going to call? Exactly. Ghost gas. Um, ghost so I guess. <laughs> but the rest of the car is is pretty good. Um, I've got a six cylinder model. It has about three hundred and thirty five horsepower. It 
it um it performs pretty good uh in terms of uh zero to sixty speed uh is about i think six seconds or so um and uh it's spacious it looks good the the cabin the seats are very comfortable i've got massage seats um you've really got to get comfortable with this new infotainment system which um combines you know sort of touchscreen and these gauges uh i mean these uh, knobs on the on the infotainment system to give you control over things. So if you want massage seats, you press the, the you turn the massage seats on, and then you use the the knobs to turn up to dial up the intensity, right? Instead of just doing that on the. Does it ever give well. you like half a massage and then full massage and then half a massage? No, can you imagine? <laughs> it should. Um, and same with like the heated seats, like oh, it's it's on and off now. Um, and then, but I do really like, it's a shame because you know me, uh, one of my favorite things are digital gauge clusters and for, and to see this kind of, um, inconsistency, this unreliable aspect to it, um, really turned me off. I, I really just didn't like that very much. Um, the other thing that really disappointed me about this vehicle is the, have we talked about the auto start stop in, in JLR products before? Yeah. So in the past, I've kind of liked it because I remember when they first started doing auto start stop, I had a, I think I had a Range Rover Sport and I was sitting at a light and uh, it caught me by surprise when the engine turned on because it was like full throttle acceleration V8 sounds. It was like, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's letting everyone know my engine just started. <laughs> yes. Um, and... I mean, they've they've rectified that because now I'm in a in a in a six cylinder, but it takes a while to turn on. It feels like I'm waiting on the engine every time it turns back on, mm. um, and it it just it, it kind of chugs to life. So maybe I've got a problem with my car that I should talk to JLR about um, because it just doesn't feel as smooth as some of the more modern um, systems we have out there. So, um, the other thing to talk about with this vehicle is it shares a platform and I think powertrain with the F pace. And I think that's important to talk about because um, the F-Pace has gone through some – some. well, the F-Pace was actually you know, brought up as sort of a savior for the JLR brand or the Jaguar brand. It was one of the, the most competitive products they made. They, they sold – they outsold every other product that they made in a single year with the F-Pace, right? Yeah, because, I mean, at, Jaguar is kind, was kind of a dead brand walking at that point, relying a lot – on Jaguar, sorry, relying a lot on Land Rover sales to kind of keep the lights on, I think. Yeah. So it, it's interesting to see them leveraging that platform and that, um, and that, um, technology that was successful in the, um, in the F pace and bring it to the Jaguar, uh, to the, now I'm losing it and bring it to the Range Rover Velar where it isn't necessary to have this kind of, um, vehicle, I don't think, because the Range Rover brand has a ton of SUVs. Uh, that's all they make. And um, I think they've they've got this kind of beat covered, right? Yeah. So I, if you were to ask me though, which one would I pick between the F Pace and the Velar? I think I would go with the Velar, just based on that that's on the interior and exterior design. And Am also, I, I think the, I think also I, I agree with you on design. I, I don't think the F Pace is unattractive, but I I do think too there's kind of an exclusivity difference between those two vehicles. You think you're going to see fewer of these uh, Velars on the road, or yeah, I, they just I think, ha- carry they carry themselves a certain way? I think they carry themselves a certain way compared to a Jaguar. Well, I want to tell you something. In my neighborhood, there have been several car- violent carjackings this week. 
Okay. Um, several. <laughs> Thank you which, for telling me that. I guess I'm not which visiting with Range Rovers, and I've been a little worried about going outside with it. So uh, I have to. I have to gather my brave, my 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 courage, and whenever I have to take my my press car out. Is you that weird? Honestly, I'm 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 always blown away by the dedication you have to driving <laughs> driving a brand new vehicle every week. Just, I mean, what a hero. Shush you. You're being mean. I'm not joking. Didn't you hear this? Uh, Mitch Marner, who's a who's a, a Maple Leaf, got uh, robbed at, at gunpoint um, a few blocks from me. Was he in a Velar? He was in a Range Rover. Okay, so there you go. You're safe. Yes. <laughs> yes. They, they picked something a little bit more special than that. Um, terrifying, isn't it? I, I mean, I'm not driving a Range Rover in your neighborhood, so I'm not that terrified by it. I mean, it sucks. I, I wouldn't I don't wouldn't wish that on anybody, and I'm sorry that it happened to him and whoever else was in that vehicle. And I'm yeah. sorry that you now live in fear. <laughs> I, am, I, I do live in fear. I can't wait to get into my Outback now. <laughs> the safety of my manual transmission Outback. Um, but yeah, this is what this is what, uh, what crossed my mind while driving the vehicle. I'm sure it's, it's an irrational fear, uh, and I'm just being uh, targeted by the media here. But uh, anyways, anything you want to know about this, Villar? Um, what color was it? Was it black? It's kind of gray. Okay. Gray with like bronze accents. I, I like the black ones because I, I find that there's a lot of blackout trim on that vehicle and it kind of it works. Um, but, you know, one question I did have for you is towards the beginning you were saying that you feel like the Velar is kind of starting to be a bit dated because we have the new Range Rover Sport and we have the new Range Rover. What uh, It's interesting for you to say that because when the Velar came out, it was pretty different. It was kind of like mm-hmm. a baby Range Rover, but from the future. So, yeah, it was really modern, right? Like it, it felt like the brand finally got like woke up and was like, oh, my God, it's 2020. We should do something. <laughs> so <laughs> what is it about the Velar now that does doesn't feel that way. It's again, it's all these, you know, I think when it arrived, we saw all this technology, all of those screens in the cabin, um, the those um, electronic d- door handles, for example. Electronic door of, handles? Wait, 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 wait a minute. What? Isn't that what you call them? Those like pop-out door handles? Oh, pop-out. Okay. Well, I thought you they were what? electronic, like, <laughs> you have to use a thumbprint or yeah. my no. voice is my passport? Verify. <laughs> Um, but like you had all of these really uh, modern features back then, but now when you use them, they're kind of like janky and not working like as well as some of the other vehicles that have these features. So I feel like it kind of needs to be refined a bit more and brought to the current generation where it's not enough to just have those features. They need to work really well too. Yeah. And they need to work in the winter when they're not having to punch through snow and yeah. ice to kind of open your own door. That's frustrating. Absolutely. I understand wanting to have gadgets and stuff that are cool, stylistically. I mean, especially in luxury cars, you need that. Or else everyone would just have an X3 or a a GLC, right? And there's there's Aero, too, right? But, like, Mm -hmm. the the thing is, a door handle is such a practical thing, and it's also something you're going to use every single time you use the car. You know, you can't ignore it. So it needs to work, and it needs to work in every single situation. And I think that yeah, a classic door handle typically does that. So it's it's rare for door handles to break. I mean, I've had it happen on me, but it's uh, the more complicated you make them, the more likely it is that they're going to malfunction when you need them the most. We've seen a lot of weird door handles recently. So we do have pop out ones. The Maki has a button, if I remember correctly, like a button on the on the pillar. Yeah, I think so. With these really nub nub like door handles that you have to yank at, right? Not super into that. I mean, just give me a door handle. It's, it's... <laughs> uh, what about like the hidden ones, like in? Uh, I'm trying to remember the Cadillac 
CTS coupe, right? Like you had to put your hand into this hole and grab the. Yeah, they're the like carved out of the pillar. I remember uh, the Nissan Pathfinder was like that too. The uh, the second set of doors was like that. And then some of them you have like the actual like the door handle we know, but there's a button inside the door handle. You don't open the door. You don't pull at the door handle. There's a button inside the handle. That's just too tricky. It is too trippy. It's weird. So we've been seeing a lot of uh, – welcome to the unnamed door handle podcast. Sammy thinks a lot about door handles. Door handles, man. How do they work? Uh, so there's a couple other little news things I wanted to talk about before we wrap things up this week. You've been reading the news? Yeah, every once in a while. The first is there's, – there's kind of a report that Ford is thinking of bringing back the Thunderbird. And the Thunderbird last appeared in like 2005. I mean it arrived, car back then. It was a retro <laughs> retro convertible. Uh, that didn't really do well, didn't really do not well. It was kind of a eh for Ford. P- some people really liked them. Yeah. It was based on the, I believe, the Do 98 platform, which was supposed to end up in under the Mustang, never ended up happening. Instead, we got the uh, S197, which was kind of, it, it didn't have the um, independent rear suspension and all that that the, the Do 98 had, had promised. Anyway. Neither here nor there. The reason they want to bring the Thunderbird back is because they're like, hey, people are buying Corvettes again. Maybe we should have something that's like a Corvette. Um, that's kind of speculation. I that think. is speculation. This is a, an exclusive from Ford Authority who uh, typically has their, their their finger on the pulse or the ear to the ground when it comes to Ford news. Um, and they think that um, this will come back as a Corvette rival, which sounds pretty bold considering where the last time we saw a – a Thunderboard, a Thunderbird. Wow, I lost it there. A Thunderbird. Um, it was very far from a Corvette rival. Speaking of Bort, um, I was having a conversation with my, with uh, the mechanic who is currently working on my Datsun, uh, Andrew, uh, and I, I have to say, my Datsun, uh, I blew a head gasket at the racetrack a couple of weeks no. ago. We were talking about towing it. Well, I towed it home because the head gasket went, and now I'm having the head machined. And a whole bunch of fun stuff is going on that I didn't intend to happen. And my next track event is in like two weeks. So I don't know. Oh, you've got this. It's going to be fun. I don't know if I'm going to be driving. I had the parts coming in from two different countries. I couldn't find stuff in Canada. Anyway, Andrew distracted me from my pain. Uh, my, my Jeep is also in the same shop right now because we're installing the air conditioning. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I have 50% of the fleet is 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 costing me money. Right. Um, anyway, he's telling me a story about, he was watching the news and there was a guy who in Quebec had the personal plate Bort. And uh, just like my son is also named Bort. Like, yeah. You know, the Simpsons reference. Yeah. And he was so worried that people were going to steal his license plate that he got like this special screws for the plate that were like filled with a substance that attached at the back and like had a lock cover over them. And then like what? he had an additional cover over the plate and then someone just stole his whole RAV4. <laughs> Oh, man. So now he doesn't have his car or his plate. Now what? I don't know if there's a lesson in there, but that sucks. And the other thing that sucks in Quebec, if you have a personalized plate and it gets stolen, you can't get a replacement. That's so weird. Why? It's the rule. No replacements. No takebacks on... Uh, on... I love Quebec. That's such a good rule. No takebacks. Yeah. So you, you're done. No more boards. You can get a board, board too, I guess. But Okay. Okay. So talk to me about the Thunderboard then. Thunderboard... Is it... I don't know. Yeah. The thing is, for me... Do you like this idea? Do you like more Corvette rivals? Do I can't see Ford enough? doing it. Yes, I can't either. Because there they're... Are Corvette rivals, right? Like they already have the it. Corvette rival. They already have the GT500. The GT500, yeah. That's it. Uh, why, do they, why do they need something else on top of that? Because the Thunderbird is going to be what? The Thunderbird is going to be a more luxurious 
version of the Mustang? No, probably not. But the Corvette itself isn't particularly luxurious. So if mm-hmm. Ford, Ford's in a weird place, it's like, do we make a, a faster Mustang and take sales from ourselves? Or do we make a luxurious coupe and call it a Lincoln and no one comes to Lincoln to buy that kind of thing? Yeah, no one shows up. What so do we do then? It's odd. It's like Cadillac tried to make a, a fast coupe too. Mm-hmm. Um, that was specific to Cadillac, the XLR, and they used Corvette Bones, and no one really bought it. I so, love the XLR. Every time you see one on the road, you're like, wow, and then that's it. That's all you say. Yeah, they're, really. they're not bad vehicles. <laughs> I mean, the, the North Star engine in them is a little problematic, but yeah. um, other than that, it's, it's, it's just a strange space for Ford to occupy, especially since the Mustang is the only car Ford makes yeah. in North America. So they're going to make another car at extremely low volume that takes sales from their only car. Seems unlikely. Um, I always thought Thunderbird would be a great name to attach to an electric coupe, but I guess that's not going to happen. Oh, so you're saying that that could happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone's making electric everything. So now. you're saying Ford Mustang mock Thunderbird. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I'm... I think they'll just put two names together, the Ford Mustang Thunderbird. Like Thunderstang that. or the Mockbird. Yes, <laughs> Thunderstang or Mockbird. <laughs> I think that's perfect. Um... Speaking of weird names, uh, I got a press release today and a warning, really, that on May 31st, Land Rover is going to debut the Defender 130. Okay. What what does that mean to you? I assume it's 20 more than the 110? Which is the one we all know. First of all, do you ever – I've never actually called it that that name, that number. Yeah, but that's why we don't – They say – Oh, is that a Defender? Yeah. Which one? The two-door or the four-door? And you'll exactly. Think that, yeah. Whatever, 110, 90. <laughs> but the thing is, no with, one the, talks about that. with Land Rover, there's all sorts of other numbers that go with it, too, right? Because, like, 110P505. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot their, their engine names also make Yeah, there's all sorts of stuff that, like, you kind of have to just look past and never think about. <laughs> <when you're>... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because it that's changes right. regularly. Uh-huh. So what's so, the difference? Why is this one 130? Why do I care? Well, you know, Land Rover saw what uh, Jeep had done with the with its Grand Wag- its Wagoneer and Grand Wagoneer, and they said, hey, we can make an off-road family vehicle, and they're going to make a eight-seater version of the Defender called the 130. Oh, it's, which four- sounds- it's 14 inches longer, which is, why didn't they call it the 124? <laughs> no, you're right. I don't know why they, they, they rounded uh, up in a very obscure way. It's only one more seat <laughs> than the 110. <laughs> what? I don't know. Um... I, I'm saying that there's seating for two up front, two, three, and then there's two, three benches. Uh, is there, can you get a three row 110 now? No, I don't think so. Are you sure? No. Do I have to check? Well, I know that you can't get a three row Range Rover, but you can get a three, three row Range Rover Sport, right? Oh, yeah. Maybe in Europe there's a three row. Ah. Anyway. Okay. Anyway. Anyways, I'm looking at spy photos of this thing and it looked funny. It looks weird. Come on. It is a long Defender. <laughs> long Defender. Um, do you think this is necessary? Do you think they're going to sell a ton of these things or what? Mm, they might. I mean, people buy the Escalade ESV, so. But that an Escalade is an Escalade and Defender is way different. Is it? Yeah. Come How on. So? The, I don't think the buyers of a Defender are anywhere near the, the same I, I think personality. There's a very as close overlap in, in those buyers. I think it's a de- an Escalade points. buyer is a Range Rover buyer, not a yeah. Land Rover Defender. No, I mean price wise, you can't get the three row Range Rover. So of course you're going to get the, range, the the Defender. Now you can get any Range Rover in third. In like, well, not any. You can get the the Sport and the regular Range Rover. 
F3 roads. Okay. Well, then, um, is it a price thing? I mean, the Defender, the other thing about the Defender is it allows you to look rugged without being rugged if you don't want to. Yeah. Exactly. That's what it is. So, it's an image thing. That could also be an Escalade buyer. Image related. Image related. Okay, cool. What other news did you find this week? That's it. I'm out of news, man. Didn't you see this? uh, I want to talk to you about this. (laughs) You're not going to let me. Uh, Nissan is honoring this rally Datsun with a juke. I thought that was weird. Yeah, I don't have any comment on that. It's so strange, though. Like, why would they... Like, a juke is not a Datsun. It's it's not a Z. Unless it's the juke GTR. I don't really want to... You know what I mean? Yeah, I forgot about that. Exactly. We all did. And they're trying to make us continue to forget about that with these weird rally jukes. Rally juke! You can't even buy a juke anymore, can you? No, not here. Not in North America. So why are they teasing us? Because they, they have other jukes in other markets, which look really cool. They have this really, like... It, they've applied their their like Sentra design language. The Does Juke never right? stopped being cool. It just stopped being available. Yes, that's right. Um, so, Sammy, uh, if people want to write in and tell us how they feel about the Juke or if they would buy a Land Rover Defender over an Escalade. Uh, or a Thunderbolt. Or a Thunderbolt. Or if they have a cool personalized plate of their own that they want to tell us about, how can they do that? Well, they can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And there's a contact form there. You just click on the Contact Us button. You fill it out. lands in our inbox. It's great. It's an, it's an easy way to get in touch with us. Uh, we usually reply back. And if not, we'll talk about it on the podcast. Um, another way to get in touch with us is through social media. You can reach out to us uh, on Twitter or Instagram. You can find Ben at HuntingBenjamin. You'll, finally, you'll find him on Instagram more often than not. Me on Twitter, I'm at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Um, or you can email us the old-fashioned way. Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. And if you want to uh, listen to past episodes, you can do that uh, as well on the website. There are all You can do it directly from the website, or there are a whole bunch of buttons that will take you to your favorite podcatcher, like Spotify, Apple. Uh, I, I don't think it's iTunes anymore. I think it's Apple Podcasts. Uh, there's um, Google Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're pretty much everywhere. So you can either search for us on your podcatcher or look for us on the website, and you will find us. Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? I drove a new BMW, the iX M60, which is the most powerful electric vehicle that BMW makes and has um, an interesting soundtrack by Hans Zimmer. Okay, I am going to be talking about the uh, new Acura MDX Type S, Sammy. Oh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. All right. So, so be sure to check in next week, guys. Thank you for listening. Bye.